Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace. For the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee. Spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel. From Franklin to the nations of the world. All for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. I have a question for you this morning as we begin. Here's the question. What is your mission? What is your mission? General George Patton, World War II general, famous for many things, was famous as well for singling out an infantry soldier just a random soldier, and he did this frequently. He would walk up to someone, a soldier, in the middle of that huge campaign across Europe. He would walk up to him and say, what's your mission? Soldier, what's your mission? The generals might know the mission, but did the men on the ground doing the work know their mission. I'm using that word mission intentionally. I'm not using a word like purpose. What's my purpose? Because purpose can be deeply egocentric, discovering your purpose. But knowing your mission, that's a word that aligns with what God reveals in Scripture about His work in the world. As Christians, we're not so much discovering what is my purpose as much as I am seeking to discover what is his will. What is the mission of God? What's the mission that Jesus has begun? We're in this little series on Pentecost. We took a break last Sunday from it because it was our first Sunday back here in gathered worship, and we had to mark the celebration and the lamentation of that moment. But I want to return to what we began a couple of weeks ago and one of the many things that we noted about the day of Pentecost, about which um, we've just read again, is that in this moment, Jesus inaugurated his mission in the whole world. He said to his disciples before his ascension, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in the whole world. And of course, as soon as we hear Jesus say to us, this is the mission, you are to take my name everywhere to everyone in the world, that's the mission, and you are my witnesses. As soon as we hear that, there's a part of our hearts that just goes, well, well, well we can't do that. We don't have the strength or the wisdom, we don't have the resources to do that. And that's why Jesus said, yes, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. So this, this little group of 120 believers, both men and women, they were young, they were old, they were all gathered together, and they're praying and they're waiting for the moment that you have just read about. There came from heaven a sound, like a great rushing wind. It was like that. And it filled the house, and then they were filled, and then they began to speak, what was going on in this moment? 
Well, one of the very first things we need to realize is just the fact that it says when the day of Pentecost had come. Don't skip that. Pentecost is not a Christian invention. It's not a Christian holiday. It's a Jewish feast. It was a very important feast. That's why all these people are in Jerusalem from all these many nations that surround Israel. They're pilgrims, and they've, they've come there to Jerusalem for this feast. It's Penta, the, the, uh, the linguists and the mathematicians among us will immediately go, oh yeah, Penta, 50. Why, what's going on here? Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Well, why was that so significant? Why was that celebrated? I mean, I get Passover because at the first Passover, they have the Passover meal together, and the great exodus occurs. They leave Egypt. The people of Israel leave the tyranny of Egypt. They go out and pass through the Red Sea, and they begin their journey to the promised land. Yes. But that began because Moses, on the backside of the wilderness, saw a bush that had fire in it. And he said, I've got to stop and get a look at that. And when he drew near to it, you remember this, and God, God spoke to him from there. He said, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. And he said, I want you to go back to Egypt, and you're going to see my people liberated from that great slavery they're in. And when you bring them out, I want you to bring them right back here to this spot. Bring them here. So Moses goes back to Egypt, the signs and wonders take place, the, the Passover takes place, they come out, they go through the Red Sea, he brings them back to that place. What's that place where the burning bush was? Mount Sinai. And when they get there, the fire that was burning in the bush isn't in the bush anymore. Now it's on top of the mountain. There is fire all over the top of the mountain. And now I'm going, to, I'm going to squeeze the story for time's sake down into this little compartment, and I'm going to give you the, the highlights. Moses goes up into the, the smoke and the fire on top of the mountain, and God gives him the Ten Commandments, and he writes them, God's finger writes them on tablets of stone, and then Moses comes down with those. But in his absence, you know, as Moses has gone up and come down in this communion with God, God's people said, what happened to that guy Moses? Because let's face it, if you watch a guy walk into the fire, you typically don't think he's going to walk back out. And he hadn't shown up for quite a while. And so they said, we don't know what's happened to Moses, and we don't know who God is, and so let's make a golden calf. And they began to worship it. And it's one of the great blame-shifting moments in the Bible, because Moses gets, he comes back just as that party is reaching its, its zenith, its great moment. Everybody's dancing around, crazy stuff's going on. And he says to Aaron, who had made the golden calf, what did you do? It's one of these great moments of blame-shifting. Aaron says, I, I, I put in this gold, and out came this calf. I don't know what happened. In the very moment that God made what came to be called the old covenant with his people, they broke it. I'll be your God. I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't take my name in vain. Don't make any false images and bow down to them. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and so on. This was, this was God's law. And in the moment God wedded himself to his people there at Mount Sinai, in the very moment God said, I'm making a covenant with you, in that very moment that he made it, they broke it. And listen to this, judgment fell, and 3,000 people died. How many people died? 
3,000. Don't forget that. The people of Israel said, we'll always mark that 50-day moment when after Passover we got all the way back to Sinai and we saw the fire of heaven come down on the mountain and we had the word of God written on tablets of stone. We're always going to mark that day, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. When Pentecost had fully come, there came a sound from heaven and the fire showed up again. Fire resting on their heads. The Holy Spirit, the life of God in heaven was filling the place and filling these people. Jesus said you're going to be receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the moment. God's life out of heaven is filling this place and filling this people and they would fill the world with the gospel of Jesus. This is the presence of God with the people of God. And what happens on this day stands in marked contrast with what had happened at that very first Pentecost at Mount Sinai. Though the elements are all the same. But there's such a change that takes place as God comes to dwell with his people. What's that presence like? Well, first of all, Note that it's a purifying presence. That's why there's a fire that's there. In the Bible, the fire of heaven is always a purifying fire. Now, as soon as I say that, you go, ah, ah, ooh, purity, ah, don't talk to me about purity. Um, that reminds me of the Puritans, and I don't want to, that sounds like legalism. Don't, I don't, no, listen, let me use a different phrase. Here, let, let me help you. Let's use this phrase, pure water. How many of you would prefer to drink pure water? Yeah. Uh, how many of you like your food to be clean? Right? I mean, how many bugs does it take to ruin a good salad? Right? I mean, not even an entire bug. Just one leg will do, right? And you go, no, this has got to go. This has got to go. Take that back. No, no, no. We want things clean. We want things pure. Purity is not a a bad thing. And in the Bible, God sends his fire to purify from our hearts the dross, those particles of indwelling sin and treason and rebellion that are in our souls. God sends the fire of heaven to purify us so that our lives become more and more increasingly as we grow in dependence on the Lord and on his spirit, vessels that are fit for his use. One of the things that happens after the early service is that people come through this room and they sterilize it. Hands up, everybody who's glad, right? Because those first service people, let me tell you. No, no, no. It's true of all of us, isn't it? First service, second service, everybody at home. But you go to special lengths right now to go, oh, well, we've got to be pure. We've got, we've got, I'm telling you, we've got more purity regulations in public worship across America than the Levitical priests ever thought of. <laughs> we've got more holiness codes than anybody. Masks and gloves. And it's, you know, you know, I feel like I should walk around going, unclean, unclean. So here's the thing. We know that there's impurities in our hearts, and we want to be vessels that God can use without being a danger to others. How does that happen? 
Every single one of those believers had fire on their heads, every single one of them. God was doing a purifying, purging work in Jerusalem and in his people, and that fire still burns. It's a deep, deep cleansing. The psalmist said, Psalm 139, Lord, search me and see if there's any hurtful thing in me. Do a search and destroy mission in my life so that I can be on the mission that you've called me to. See, every single one of you are called to a mission. Every single one of you have the fire on your head. It wasn't just a giant fire cloud over the city. It was an individual, deeply personal flame resting on the head of all 120 people. Every single one of you are on mission. I do think some Christians believe that they go to work and make money and give so other people can be on the mission. But no, your work is your mission field. Your work is your mission. You and I are called into a mission, the mission of Jesus, to get the gospel to the whole world, to plant churches all over the world, to make disciples of the next generation, to give everything that we have so that that mission goes forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God has left none of you out of his mission. There's a fire on the head of every person who is gathered here to purify us, to clean us, to make us vessels that God can use. But here's here's the second thing. You become this vessel. What does it make you? It makes you a prophetic people. This is a purifying presence, and it's a prophetic presence. You see, what happened is, as they began to be filled with the Spirit, it says they began to speak. They're speaking in languages, tongues, that they've never learned Now, I grew up a Lutheran kid, and I can remember hearing about the Holy Spirit. We said we believed in the Holy Spirit, but I'm not saying it didn't happen. I probably just wasn't paying attention, but, but I never heard a sermon on speaking in tongues. I never heard it even mentioned. It was like, well, let's just get past that. And, and I don't know what your experience is in something like that. I, I remember when I first heard of it, I had all these friends. I'm in my mid-teens, and they were all like, speaking, oh, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know I'd never heard of it. I had a, and I didn't know what different denominations believed about all that stuff. So I had this friend who was a fundamentalist Baptist, and I asked him about speaking in tongues. And he told me, if you speak in tongues, you're demon-possessed, and you'll go to hell. Then I had a friend, his name was Tim, and I said, Tim, Tim was a Jesus-only Pentecostal. And I said, Tim, what's all this speaking in tongues thing? And Tim said, Jesus-only Pentecostal, speaking in tongues is a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, you go to hell. So I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. What what am I doing with this? You know, I I have no idea. What's going on here? Well, they weren't speaking gibberish. They were speaking languages they'd never learned. That's not the issue. The issue is, what was that language doing? It It was prophesying to all these people from all these nations. It was proclaiming to them the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What does it mean to be a prophet? Listen to what God said to Jeremiah. I will put my word in your mouth. Would you say that with me? I will put my word in your mouth. That's what happened to these people. See, later as Peter preaches and he begins to explain what's going on, some of the people, some of the people thought they were drunk. And Peter said, they're not drunk. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. Now, I, I know you can't drink all day unless you start early, but that's not what's going on in this passage. 
Peter says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. These people are not drunk. These people are full of joy. They're, they're, they're speaking out. There's this effervescence that's flowing from them. Oh, these people. Peter says, no. He says, what you're seeing is what Joel talked about. Listen to this. Joel chapter, he's quoting now from the Old Testament prophet of Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God put his spirit on people, but it was like a priest here and a prophet there and a king over here and an artist way over there. It was an isolated individual here and there. One time, there was a group of, of elders in Israel who had the Holy Spirit on them, and they began to prophesy. And a couple of guys who weren't at the meeting, they were over in the camp. They started prophesying, and Joshua came to Moses and said, you want me to stop them? And Moses said, I long for the day when God will put his spirit on all of his people. And Joel picked up on that and said, God's pouring out his spirit on everybody. See, how many of the 120 got the Holy Spirit? All of them. Every one of them. Tongue of fire on every one of them. Young, old, male, female, regardless of socioeconomic status. Every single person has got the Holy Spirit working in their life. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. You are, listen to this. Listen, let me tell you something so incredible. You are a prophet. God has put his word into you. How does he do that? Well, in that purifying work of God, he doesn't write the law on tablets of stone. He writes it on the tablets of your heart. And in the prophetic word, in the prophetic anointing that you've been given, he puts his word in your mouth. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. The purifying and the prophetic go together. God purifies his people because the new covenant is being inaugurated. Listen to what Jeremiah said about the new covenant. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. It's not going to be like the old covenant that I made with them when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Here's the new covenant I'm going to make. I'm going to wipe out their sins and remember their lawless deeds no more. I'm, they're not going to say, know the Lord, because every one of them are going to know me. And I'm going to write my word, my law, on their hearts. And then, of course, what happens is people who have God's word in their hearts discover it in their mouths. And they begin to speak it out. They love holiness. They love purity. They love the Lord. And now they want to share the Lord with everybody they meet. That's being on mission. You want to share Christ with all the people around you. And it's everybody. He didn't say, I will pour out my spirit on all men. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all, including men and, and the women too. Uh, he didn't just say, I will pour out my spirit on old, bald guys who preach. No, he said, I'll pour out my spirit on the old and the young. I'll pour out my spirit on male and female. Every single one of you have been given the Holy Spirit to join in the mission of God. What's your mission? This is a purifying presence. This is a prophetic presence. I'm going to give you one more thing. And I know you, you're thinking it'll start with a P, but I couldn't think of anything. So I, was, I, I hate to disappoint you. Here's the last thing. This is a life-giving presence. A life-giving presence. When Peter got to the end of this, this message, 
that he was preaching, and he said, this is what Joel talked about, and here's what Jesus did, and we're, we want you to know about that. It says at the end of that message, all the people were cut to the heart, and they said, well, what do we, how do we respond to this message? What do we do? And Peter said, I want you to, to repent and believe and be baptized. And if you do, you too will receive the Holy Spirit because the promise is for you and for your children and for everyone God calls. And so it says, those who heard his word and believed were baptized. Listen to this. And there were added that day, how many? 3,000 souls. How many died at Mount Sinai? How many came alive on Zion? 3,000. God brought life where there'd been death. My friends, that's what the Holy Spirit always does. He brings life where there's been death. Jesus is dead in the grave. The Holy Spirit raised him to life again. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. God makes us alive. The world is caught up in death. The Holy Spirit can use you. Listen, how many people were there that day? 120. There's more than that in this room. And if the Holy Spirit gets hold of our lives and a hold of our hearts, and we remember that we're on mission, why could not God once again so move that the whole world becomes full of life? In Jerusalem, they basically had a life zone. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, it says in Acts chapter 5 that, that people in the surrounding villages and towns were we're getting their friends and bringing them and bringing the sick and the broken, so much so that if Peter's shadow passed over people, they were healed. Now, I'm not saying that that's normal. It says that was extraordinary. I don't actually think that Casey Kramer's shadow is going to raise the dead. No, no, no. Charles, maybe. <laughs> Different. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's got the goods, you know. No, that's not what I'm saying. These were extraordinary moments, but they were life zones. People were, it says multitudes kept coming in because you know what people are looking for? People are not looking for more religion. They're looking for life. People don't need more ceremony. They need Christ. They need the life of God. What happened at Pentecost? The life of heaven came down. See, Around America right now, in some of our great urban centers, there are people building zones, enclaves. Don't be, don't be too quick to shame. Listen, listen. There are two impulses going on there. One is a lawless impulse. That's true. It's violent. It's lawless. It's rebellious. But, but listen, there's, there's a longing. There's a longing behind that that says things can't stay the way they are. We have that longing. We are those who are looking for a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We don't want things to stay the way they are either. We want everything to change. We just know we're not the ones who actually affect the change. We can't build utopias, a Latin word that means nowhere. The city of God is the people of God filled with the presence of God that is built right in the city of man. Do you know what we're to become? We're to become a life zone so that everyone around us begins to haul everybody in and say, you can be healed here. You can be saved here. Your life can find new meaning. My friends, what is your mission? 
Do you live on mission? Or are you just going through the motions? Maybe you say, well, I've, I've got religion, but I need life. This Holy Spirit, this same Holy Spirit, my friends, who came to these people on the day of Pentecost, comes to reveal Jesus to us. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. Life. How do you have that life? By receiving him. When we say the Nicene Creed together, we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is life. And if you feel dead inside this morning, that can all change like that in a moment. If the one who does not have life, but who is life, takes up his residence in you. Can I ask you a question? Do you have life? If you don't have life yet, I want you to receive Christ. And if you have Christ and you have his life, I want to remind you this morning, you're on a mission. And it's to give that life to everyone else. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, we long for the city of God to be seen in the city of man. The enclaves of the kingdom to go up. To see the life of heaven manifest in the culture of death. We long to see the order of the throne where there's only the lawlessness of hell. We long to see the life of the Holy Spirit pulsating in the heart and soul of every person here. And so, Lord, let the flame of heaven be ignited on the head of every person in this room and every person who is watching, and let the spirit of life be in every heart. And remind us, Lord, that you have not saved us merely to stand around and wait for your return, but to be on mission until you do. We pray in Jesus' holy, worthy, matchless, and mighty name. Amen and amen.